Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. If you're over 35, some of the, the enzymes in your gut, uh, the way your gut digests foods, start to change. Let's face it. Uh, the enzymes, of course, are molecules that help break down your food into usable macro and micronutrients. Research shows that by the time you're 65, the saliva and pancreatic secretions, which are both very involved with enzymatic activity, can have declined by as much as 50%. This can have symptoms that can result in gut issues. I'm suggesting you consider, if you fit into this category, by optimizers, Masszymes. It is a complete, potent digestive enzyme with over 102% more protease than the nearest competitor and three to 500% more than the most popular brands. Again, gut is a very complex process, macronutrient breakdown complicated, and protein left undigested can create problems downstream. Masszymes not only contains more protease, it has 13 additional enzymes, including lipase for fat digestion and other enzymes as well. All of this makes Masszymes an ideal complement to a healthy meal. You can watch Masszymes dissolve raw steak when you go to Masszymes, M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com slash Drew. That is masszymes.com slash Drew. And you can try it today risk-free, a 365-day full money-back guarantee. That's right, the gold standard in the industry. And if you don't feel that Masszymes help you upgrade your digestion, the support team will give you a no-questions-asked refund. Finally, when you go to masszymes.com slash podcast, be sure to enter the coupon code DRDREW10, Dr. Drew10, and you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. This deal is for a limited time only while quantities last. That is masszymes.com slash podcast, Dr. Drew 10 at checkout. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, of course, keep the wind in the sails of the Corolla ship and uh, be sure to check everything out at drdrew.com. We have a family of podcasts there. Also, drdrew.tv. You can sign up there and we send out a blast every time we go live by doing a streaming show now on weekends typically. And happy to take your questions there. It's very interesting. Uh, you can find it at Facebook slash Dr. Drew. It's at all the platforms. It's everywhere out there. But just go to drdrew.com for all the details or drdrew.tv. We appreciate you supporting the show. And uh, we're going to get in some calls right now. Let's get right to it. Uh, this is Stefan. Stefan, go ahead. Dr. Drew, get it on. Get it on, man. Got to get it on. Great to speak with you, sir. You hey, I wanted to pick your brain about a uh, blurb I read in an odd science book many years ago. And it was basically about a cure for asthma that involved the ingestion of pinworm eggs. I don't know if you're familiar with this. <laughs> I am not familiar. But the fellow had actually marketed it and sold his cure in some old school magazine or newspaper or whatnot. And I think just the nature of it made it a difficult sale. Yeah. But basically, the takeaway from it was that if you were willing to sacrifice an itchy asshole for your asthma, that was a trade that could be made. Well, no, no, no. And, Hang uh, on. You, 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 wait, wait, wait. Oh, forgive me. Go ahead. Wait, wait. Just because you injected eggs. It's actually injecting eggs under the skin, right? No, no, no. Ingest to eat. Oh, ingesting uh, orally, the eggs. Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, yeah, it was weird. I, yeah, I'm assuming. Th- so there's all kinds of asthma, right? And and we call a lot of things asthma that aren't really even asthma. I mean, technically, asthma is a syndrome of airway reactivity and hypersecretion, and we tend to call any airway hyperactivity asthma. You know, the the real syndrome is something that starts in childhood. It comes comes back in adulthood. And it's different than allergic bronchospasm. It's different than post-bronchitic bronchospasm, though they all are relatives. But real asthma can also be associated with something called atopy, which is just a general allergic activity where you have runny nose and runny eyes and, and asthma. And it makes sense to me that various kinds of um, – you know, one of the ways you treat that is with the desensitization therapies, right? You give people allergens and slow accelerating doses to sort of accustomize the immune system to these the presence of these allergens. So it makes sense to me that this might be something in that zone. Does that make sense? It does. And what the article went on to state was that humans had more or less co-evolved with various parasites over the uh, over the it's centuries. True. It's true. And so that when you remove these parasites from the body, the body kind of goes into overdrive. Or that's, that, that's, uh, that, is, that was the way the article explained well, it. That is, a, that is a conversation that is out there in legitimate scientific circles. 
And so it's not totally crazy. It sounds crazy, but it is not totally crazy. And probably the reason they picked pinworm, it's sort of the least noxious of all the worms we've coexisted with our whole life. But you just, I mean, yeah, our whole existence rather. And and so look at, you know, I mean, if you go down to the Central America and even Mexico and South America, lots of ascaris and worm stuff, not so much asthma. And so people started observing that and going, well, I wonder if these worms have something to do with it. And there's still a conversation about it. Generally, fascinating stuff. Yeah, generally, this goes in the Adam Carolla category of the sewer rat hypothesis, right? Is that you should expose yourself to as much as possible so your immune system can get used to it. And that also seems to be true. It's, it suggests that that's why we have peanut allergies and things like that, is because we are raising children in too pristine uh, and hypoallergenic environments. It's interesting. It's all well, very interesting. Hygiene theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. So. So something to it. Um, I'm imagining that the science didn't bear it up as a generalized kind of a therapy. And so when I think – first of all, think about it this way too from a medical business standpoint. Where's the business plan in uh, pinworm eggs, right? Who's going to – you have to cultivate exactly. and distribute pinworm eggs. It's a hell of a campaign to, to market. Right. And my, and my bet is that it doesn't work on – it probably works on a very small subset of people with asthma – and how do you identify those people? And I bet no one was willing to do those studies. I bet that's what happened. Fascinating stuff. All right, man. Good Thank question. You, my call, you betcha. Thank you so much. All right. This is uh, Robert. Robert, go ahead. Hey, Dr. Drew. How are you? Good. What's happening? Not much. I just wanted to speak about the opioid crisis mm-hmm. and um, the commercials that are on now for something, I guess, called Suboxone mm-hmm. or sub- um But prior, I haven't seen any commercials to help somebody with addiction. Right. Um, How about doing something free, like going to meetings, that kind of thing? Free. Yeah. Free. Yeah. And that, that, and the, the head of addiction medicine at both Stanford and Harvard have studies that show that it is evidence-based that mutual aid societies do as well or better than any other professionally managed intervention. So why aren't we advertising, hey – there's a meeting on every corner. Go sit down and raise your hand. Try it. Well, you know, you know the answer to that because of the money that makes me insane. That's, makes me insane. And yeah, our I government, feel the same way you do, and our I government, feel the same way you do. and I've been yeah. worried about for quite some time. Our government has been too cozy with the Suboxone manufacturers for many years. And one of my concerns is the excessive enthusiasm for anything. That's how we got into this opioid crisis. There was a group of, of doctors that took over the management of all pain, and they developed a, literally a religious orientation to pain that all pain should be eliminated. Pain is whatever the patient says it is. Pain controls whatever the patient says it is. And any fear of using opioids is something they call opiophobia. And it's unfounded. Yeah. And the answer has always been there in the poppy plant. And how dare you? How I used to get this for years. How dare you get in the way of pain control? What's that? It ruined my life. Oh, you got strung out? Jesus. I'm so sorry. I I was I was never uh, Nancy Reagan. Just say no. If your brain doesn't know about it, then you just, you, know, you just say no. But I had gotten to an accident. Yeah, and um, they never said, "Hey, these things are addicting." This Percocet started off as, and then um, I couldn't go to the bathroom. You know all those things that they that go along with it. Well, so so slow I, down. I, so so hang on. I, I'll, I will, let me let me paint the picture of, of what I know happened to you. So you get going on the opiates. Your pain magically gets kind of worse, and your back pain is even worse, and you get leg oh. restlessness, and you can't sleep, and yeah. you're anxious. Yeah. Now, they give you laxatives and sleeping medication, yeah. and then you're anxious yeah. during the day, and they give you some anxiety medicine during the day, and up your opioids. Now it's on. Oh, my God. Right? Right. So then, but the logical switch then after that for too many people, when when the doctors, you know, or whatever you, you run out too quick is to go to the next Steps, which is dope, right? That's what well, most people do. Well, what happens is, so here's what happens. So now, so now we have the federal government steps in appropriately, right. but with excessive force. Just like the, the original problem was, lawyers and patient advocacy groups got a hold of doctors that were not treating quote pain adequately, and they sued them and they put them in prison, oh. and that scared the shit out of doctors, and that. that's that's what caused every physician to hand their pain patient over to a pain doctor who gave did exactly what happened to you to all of them. Most of them, a lot of them died, 
Now we have the federal government stepping in and putting doctors in prison for the excessive prescribing. Now doctors are scared to do anything, which is also excessive, right? We should still use opiates for certain kinds of acute pain and certain uh, certain chronic pain patients should be getting opiates too, believe it or not. There is a subset yeah. that can be benefited from that. Most, not you, but most are your story and that's the story we were trying to solve. So if right. Robert is still under the care of a doctor, that doctor now is scared crapless and he or she goes, oh, my God, this dude is strung out. I'm going to get – you know, I'm going to go to jail if I don't watch out. This is a bad patient. We have to get rid of him. I'm going to send him a letter telling him – referring him to other doctors but not prescribing for him anymore as, a, as opposed to bringing Robert in the office and going, Robert, dude, neither of us intended this. We were doing what was the standard wisdom of the time. I didn't know. I didn't have any expertise in addiction, but it looks like we've triggered a second problem called addiction. Let's get you Doc, some. Doc, tr- I would have. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I would love that. That's all I wanted to hear. Somebody say that to me. Yeah, let's get you some Please. treatment. Let's get you some treatment. Let's do something about this. I'm sorry. Wow. It was my mistake. I did. It was the practice of the day. It was wrong. Let's get some care. Instead, they cut you off, and anybody Correct. strung out on opiates is going to the streets. Period. Correct. Yeah, you have to. We have to. have to because of, because of the sickness. But then the, then they came out with something called Suboxone, I guess. Yeah. Right. So Suboxone and, uh, is like the new methadone, and, and it works for some people. I'm not I, – I was never an advocate for Suboxone. I was always very skeptical, again, because of the government's My relationship. Bad. The government relationship with it and the excessive enthusiasm. Now, having said that, I've seen it save lives. So it can be very, very effective. And if somebody's properly managed, which is a long shot – Again, because we're tr- encouraging every doctor on earth and every nurse practitioner to take on 100, 200 Suboxone patients, which is, by definition, not good management. I, I know what I'm doing, and I could handle maybe 30. So uh, anybody that takes wow. more than 30, in my wow. brain, is I'm skeptical about their ability to do it properly, but okay. And that medicine, properly managed, can really help you. It could really help it you. Has. Yeah, good. It has for 12 years. Good. It has for 12 years. Well, but wouldn't you like to get off it? <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I, absolutely, because I don't know what's going to happen to me, you know, later on in life. And then, um, you know, it's just I've tried, and it's it's worse than how much? You, how much? You, than, how much you taking now? Just uh, eight, eight, eight milligrams. All right, I'm so sorry, good twice eight, a day. Oh, so, eight twice a day. If you can get yourself down to eight or even four, not twice a day, but once a day. If you can get your down into four milligrams a day, eight milligrams a day, I think you'll find yourself better I, I, if you can do it. Uh, I'm not saying you must do it because I understand you've had a bad addiction and this and doing so is dangerous. I understand yeah. that. So take your doctor's advice, whoever's prescribing it. Well, he said he he told me because the price has gone up, the insurance company doesn't cover it. So he said, go to another doctor then. Jesus, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. Jesus. And he's seen me in tears, like you know, because like you said, if it's managed properly, because in the beginning. You take it, you save it, you hide it, and then you do your. You're, other you're still in your addiction. You're still in your Correct. addiction at that point, right? Correct. Thank so, you for I mean, saying I'm that because that's. Thank you for I'm, being I'm honest about that because the doctors don't know that happens, but it does always happen. So yes, wow. when you get to the lower doses, that's when the addiction settles, the addiction disease, and you can do pretty well. I, I mean, I'd love to see you get off it. Of course, it gets a different experience Me of too. life. But you may not be able to. You have a chronic thing, and it may not be able to be realistic. But to get to as low as you can is definitely the goal. Now, I I would check out whatever the state has to offer in terms of there. There's so much enthusiasm to distribute Suboxone. I'm going to bet you there's ways to get it outside of your insurance company. Really? Yeah. So look, look into what the state. Go to the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Start to do a little research. Do your work. And, and I'm going to bet you can find a way to get it that's pretty cheap because it's, um, it's being pushed by the, drug, by the uh, government. But just recently, though, is that not correct? Uh, I've only seen the commercial just today for the first time. It's being pushed by the government for quite some time. But I used to see the commercials like if you have an opioid and you can't go to the bathroom, they give you something for that. Oh, don't even, don't even, don't start me, man. Driving you up. I know, I know. Don't even. I mean, that's it. It's it's so you know because like I said, I was twenty five when it happened. It's horrible. Um, and you know I fell five stories Mm. and uh, shattered everything. When I was in pain, whatever. But in my medicine cabinet when I was a kid, there was baby aspirin, a bottle of curacao, and band aids. 
That's it. Well, I, I was raised by a family practitioner, a doctor, and he pounded on me about medicines being dangerous. Only when the risk is worth it do you take a medication. Uh, and, you know, and I, I, I remember I never took uh, even an antibiotic until I was about 11. And then it was like done with a giant like ritual like, here we go. You're going to take an antibiotic. You know, this, this is dangerous, <laughs> you know. And so I've tried to practice medicine that way myself. I, I'm definitely we – my peer age, you know, my generation of doctors overuse – we're too enthusiastic about medication for sure. But and we have better medicines available than my dad did, for instance. But still, that 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 deep respect for the decision to put somebody on a pharmacological agent should be at every I turn. Mean, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Because you ruin lives, and, you ruin, and kill know. people. Hey, I've seen kill people. Yes, I've seen people. Do, there's not a medicine on earth that can't kill you. They're all dangerous, but. When it's worth it, when the risk-benefit ratio warrants taking that risk, then you do it. Now, for instance, in your case, you get you got opiates appropriately. You had acute pain. But then they didn't Correct. realize that you started getting into a chronic dependency syndrome with chronic pain and no one and I, and treated that. I had no that. idea either. Of course. You would, you're the patient. On. You're not supposed to know. You just want to feel better. Correct. I was, you know, things were hurting me. Okay, and then I start, and then I told him, I said, I can't go back. I don't even want these anymore. Yeah. And then three days later, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Oh, I've had patients. I've literally had patients. Literally had patients die because uh, a opioid prescribing doctor says, "Why do you listen to those people who are trying to brainwash you? I'm your doctor. You're going to need these the rest of your life. Take them." And and no, boy, you tell that to a drug addict, bad. and it's on, you know. So it is on because yeah. there's no stopping. Once it's in your brain, and what what is it that makes it change your brain to, you know, like going to meetings and stuff like that? Um, How does that change your brain? Like the, the drugs that ch- it changes your brain, right? The the, the medicines the do. Yes, the opiates change yeah. your brain. Correct. Keep going. So Keep asking your away. questions. The, uh, the serotonin levels, or the you know um, the the reward sensor in your brain. I did a lot of you know research on it too because I wonder why I'm so you know severe depression. But I did crack my skull and have a subdural hematoma, so I have some brain damage in the front where you you know I react quickly to you know aggressive mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I just uh, I don't understand how it changes your brain and how long it takes to go back. You know, because if I don't have to get the, the if I don't have once I switch from the pharmaceutical drugs that are bad to the suboxone, which we don't know yet, is good or bad. Uh, I seem to have less depression. Good. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. mean, these, these medicines, I, I wouldn't want to be on these medicines all the time. And and again, the, the more, the way I think about it is the more, the less you're on, the greater the potential for flourishing. That's the way I look at it. Because yeah. before that, I couldn't. After it was full blown, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. You know. Well, but here's here's doing. here's what I recommend. Start going to some meetings, even on the Suboxone, it's okay. Start going to some meetings, and you will learn that there are people that have been where you've been, and just having that experience is extremely empowering. And they can, and just that another person sitting across from you going, Yeah, yeah, I get it, me too. Believe me, you, you, I can tell you're, you're ripe for that. You would help you a lot. And so go to meetings and then raise your hand and get a sponsor. And start going to me. You're just ready, dude. You're ready. So go do it. Go to Narcotics Anonymous or even AA, whatever. Whatever is in your neighborhood. There's going to be one around. Free. It is free. It, they, and these people will be available to you 24-7. Try it out and then give me a call in a couple of weeks and let me know how it goes. I will okay. do that. All right, man. I Good luck. All right, buddy. Thank you All so right. much. You bet. Robert is ripe. And uh, let's go to Jeff. Jeff, you heard that whole conversation. You got something similar going on. I did, yeah, absolutely a good segue in, Dr. Grupinski. I can't think of a more uh, qualified individual to kind of go over the situation I, I'm going through right now and yeah. would love to hear your insights yeah. and guidelines, the yeah. best way to effectively treat this, which is um, I have a cousin who is getting out of prison uh, in the next month. He's been a heroin addict for a while and um, just been a, a severe drug addict, and it's just kind of trying to figure out the best way to help him. I know it has to ultimately be internal and it's up to him and all the other variables that may impact that, but just kind of wondering what your questions would be or what, uh, how you'd kind of approach that situation. How long has he been a drug addict? Probably for at least 
last five to 10 years. And, how, and it's escalated how, towards heroin the last couple of years. How old is he now? Uh, I'm not that good at cousin, but I believe uh, 29, 30. Okay. And uh, do you know, has he been using in prison? I wouldn't be surprised. It's pretty rampant in the system, which is why the system doesn't really make sense in solving the problem. But I don't think he has. He he, he has not been using a prison. I, I, who knows? Right? Okay. Has I, he I been? Has, has he been I, engaged? I corresponded with him. And, right. So some some states offer treatment programs in prison. Did, did he take advantage of anything like that? Um, they did. I know he went through one treatment. He got his GED. Um, in prison. You know, which was good. Yes. Good. Is he in prison for violent crime or anything? Is there something bad that happened here? He was uh, breaking into uh, facilities to steal things, to sell for drugs. Um, and there was a little bit of an issue between him and the police officers okay. Okay. Um, when he was arrested. So it's still just, a, that's just, that line. that's just addiction stuff. Okay. So, yeah, and right. did he have any trauma growing up? Do you know? He... He got kind of stuck in the system a little bit early um, in high school. He got kicked out. Um, he was a, he's a big kid. Like, he's a gladiator-looking guy, somebody you don't want to mess with. And, you know, the older high school kids would mess with him, and he hurt one, even though they were warned. That kind of set him on a course. He had a girlfriend that was pregnant, mm. um, gave the baby up to adoption. But other than that, he's had a very stable family life. He has really good parents. Um, the only issue with some of his family members is just kind of a, you know, just knock it off and they've kind of turned their back on him, which I don't really like, but right, right. really good family, family unit. So that doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> so either, <laughs> see, either he has some serious undiagnosed neuropsychiatric problem that needs evaluation because that behavior in high school, that was serious mental illness, serious. Let's not, let's not minimize yeah. it. That's what that is. And... So so something was going on there. And so the question is, did he have some genetic or biological problem that went undiagnosed? Or did he have some trauma that no one's talking about yet, some sexual abuse or something? It's kind of kind of smacks that a little bit. So uh, kind no, of, I don't I doubt the sexual abuse. I know he did have um I'm sorry, but I kind of drifted off there. Go sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. You're saying he didn't have sexual abuse, but he had um, I was thinking more about the family when you were talking about maybe wasn't played there. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm thinking he did have a very solid family unit, but we did, oh, that was it. We did have a, we definitely have a genetic for addiction in the family, grandpa alcoholic. So there's that component. Is one of his parents alcoholic addict? Um, they've, they, no, his dad uh, partied a little bit growing up and then he quit. And his four brothers all quit and lived sober lives, and most of his siblings have done so as well. Right. So when I asked, so when I asked, was there alcoholism and addiction in the family? Yes, profound, profound. They're all in recovery, thank God, but profound addiction in the family, all over the place. So that can impact on a kid because he's a child when that's all going on. So that in itself can be enough to traumatize a child. And it, in those environments, it's very common for kids to get victimized. So I promise you there's a lot there. Now, so sure. that, that would help explain some of the behavior in, in high school. So you have a you know, trauma survivor with maybe some neuropsychiatric stuff with now opiate heroin addiction and a criminal history. Is he, is he discussing or wanting to be in recovery or get treatment? Is he talking about that? Um, not specifically. He's talked about, you know, some, some positive activities he wants to do with hiking and working out and things like that, but he hasn't mentioned going to groups or treatments, which I wish he would. I think that would be ideal. All right. So how much, how much to push that or a lot uh, the profound, just yeah. get on him. Dude, there's free services or every corner. A lot of them been in prison. Go talk to them. Go to a narcotics anonymous meeting. You have to do something active or this thing will come back guaranteed. That's the nature of opiate addiction. So if he doesn't don't want to straddle that line of like uh, pressuring him to do something he doesn't want. All right. So you're making a huge mistake. Okay. All those instincts, all those instincts are exactly wrong. So what you have to do. So what you have to do is go to a program called Al-Anon and you have to get yourself a sponsor. And every time you interact with him, you have to call your sponsor, plan out what you're going to say. And then after you talk to him, talk again to your sponsor about how it went, because every instinct you have is wrong. And that's normal. It's you, you think yours are bad. Parents of, of addicts are even worse because the disease plays on our love and instincts for that patient, for that person. And it uses those instincts to maintain the disease. So everything you have to do 
is counter-instinctual, and you will not do it. I promise you, you will not do it without a sponsor or therapist there holding your hand. So you have to get that if you are very, if you're actually serious about helping this person. Otherwise, and I'm, and this is not to you specifically. This is everybody around every addict. You will be part of the problem. You got it. Yeah, and that's definitely what I want to avoid. Um, I mean, I could be in a situation as well. I turned to education in my career, and that's kind of what helped me. And so, I guess that's where I was coming from that angle. But I, I understand your point, and I think that it, it's not a it's not a point. To. It's not a point. It's an order. And if you don't okay. do it, you are part of the problem. And this, I can't, you should hear how I have this conversation every time I'm dealing with a family member of an addict and they start with, I'll do anything. And I go, I'm asking you to do one thing and only one thing. Go to an Al-Anon, get a sponsor. That's it. That is all you have to do. It's an order. And if you don't do that, okay. you're adding to the demise of that person. That's it. It's that simple. Well, I, I definitely will encourage that and I hope he does. I mean, what no, you, want to do that? not him, you. You need to go to Al-Anon and get it. I, I tell family members all the time who come okay. to me and say, I will do anything. I say, I have one thing. One thing only will work. You either get a sponsor in an Al-Anon program or you get a therapist and you have that person hold your hand every time you interact with this person. Or there's nothing else. Okay. That's it. Those are the two things you can do. But there is nothing else. And so anything else you do will add to the problem. Unfortunately, that's the nature of the condition. The condition is an interpersonal disorder. So it plays on all of our positive emotions about that person, and it uses them to its advantage, much the way it uses the identified addict's brain and emotions and thinking and uses all of that to maintain the disease. Okay? So you're saying no no communication with him unless – so go get a sponsor, definitely get that done, and then just do not interact with him unless the sponsor is present, correct? Not present, co- coached up, or, coached up. Like, right. like how you yeah. should be going. How do I interact with him? What do I do? What you know? What should I do? This is what I'm thinking. And then they'll say, No, no, not that, not this. <laughs> Here's what you yeah. should be doing. And, and and by the way, part of it is helping you not be anxious when you are walking on eggshells. Walking on eggshells around drug addicts to me is the most lap, most hysterical thing you can do, because then they sure. will. It's not what they need. What you do is you go, Hey, dude. Let's go. This thing will come back if you don't do something active. And he's like, oh, how dare you? Don't, I'm, I love you. Don't be ridiculous. Don't, don't be righteous indignation. Because I love you, that's how you're going to behave. And, but you won't do that without somebody holding your hand and getting you to do that because they they're good. They'll get under your skin. Thank you, Jeff. Well done. I got to keep going here. Uh, Monique, go ahead. Hey, Dr. Drew. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Oh, not too shabby. I'm uh, just listening to you. Spread your wisdom. I appreciate it. Um, my girlfriend, Brenda, and I are up here in Shasta County, and we keep trying to push to get something to, to be done, yeah. and it's not happening, yeah. and I don't want to get bitter about it. This but, is a homelessness thing. Uh, so, All right. So, yeah, yeah. so here, here is what has to happen. We have to change the laws. So you have to start putting heat on your local representatives. There's a guy named John Morlock in Orange County that's working very carefully on changing the Lanternman-Petrus Short Act, which is the thing that prevents us from doing anything for addicts. We have to get involved with the upcoming 2020 referendum, which will modify Prop 47. Get on that, Monique. Get on it. That, that's where you should put your energy. That has to pass, okay? Okay. Just so you know, I've been speaking legislatively, and I started with Prop 47, uh, AB 109, 57. Yeah. This is California we're all talk, talking about, about here. This, yeah, this, is the, um, this is the horrible catastrophe that is the state of California, everybody that's not in California. We are, we are living oh, – it, it, it's a disaster here. It is, and I'm, I'm really trying to change things legislatively. So my girlfriend and I are going to do a documentary, Cool, and we've got – um, permission slips. We're, we're learning, you know, what to do. We're getting our outline together, but we were also advised that we need to learn to write legislatively. And I don't know. I don't have wow. a clue what that means. Well, I don't but, either. But, <laughs> I'm afraid. No. So I've been relying on some of the smart people at Morlock's office to to do that. And uh, also, you have an ally in LA County Supervisor Catherine Barger. Uh, you could maybe contact these people and see what they what they have to say. I don't well, know, know what else to say. That's crazy. No, that's okay. Um, I I constantly write my my legislative individuals, my boards, my council members, and it's like I'm constantly falling on deaf deaf ears, mm. and I'm 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 exhausted from screaming. But um, yeah, we're gonna do this. We're gonna get it out. We're gonna show people what's going on up here in Shasta County. I don't think 
Catherine Barger would even pay me no right. mind That's because she's true. not my legislative body. That's probably true. But yeah, listen, so, it, it sounds like you're get doing what needs to be done, right? Trying. Yeah, and, uh, I, and yeah. I appreciate it because there are people dying constantly. The very you know the people I've been speaking to this morning would be, would be people on the streets dying if something something is not done. So here we I, are. Yep. Yeah, and this, yep. because these diseases that we've been discussing lead to homelessness. That's where they drive people. And the um, that's what I wanted to say. If you don't mind me, I don't mean to cut you off, mm. but um, that whole progression you speak about homelessness yep. being progressive. Yeah. Um, such a true statement. My mother being homeless. I yep. watched my mother's whole physical being change. Yep. And the sickness just got worse and worse. And unfortunately, because my mother was the way she was, any man with any drug could get five minutes of my mother's time. Oh, yeah. And it, it was horrible to watch this deterioration of somebody I love. And back when I was a kid, I had no experiences. I didn't know how to help. Exploitation so, of women and racism is rampant on the streets. And if people have no oh, other no. reason to help the homeless, look at those issues. They're just out of control. Um, we, uh, I got into a physical scuffle. I haven't been in a fight since I was in sixth grade. And I got huh. into a physical scuffle with my girlfriend's daughter. Mm. And I had no clue she was carrying a machete. Oh, my God. She carries, yeah, I had no clue. Had I known that, I probably wouldn't have been so assertive with her. But the point was, she carries the machete because 10 months prior, she was raped. And there's a, we have a baby now. We have proof of what happened to her. And when we were talking to the officers, they were upset. They were going to throw her in jail. And I begged them for 45 minutes, please, this young lady needs help. After I found out about the machete, though, I about, you know, lost my mind. And again, I had no this clue is a, this is that a kind of young situation. woman. And she has what, schizophrenia or drug addiction? Um, you know what? She has no diagnosis. But yeah. when I talk to her, she talks like my mom. She's very disorganized. Um, and she's angry. She's so angry at the world, we can't even get to the heart of it math so that, that all sounds kind of meth or it could be schizophrenia too they all they all kind of look like that and they die on the streets that's where they go if you don't treat yeah. them they go on the streets and they deteriorate yeah. this is my point is that these are progressive illnesses which can if treated early can restore to some sort of health and job left to deteriorate yeah. on the streets they become unretrievable and this is what we're doing with there we strangely we treat dementia patients aggressively oh my god oh my god get them hold them put them in a car oh, take care of them you can't you can't change the progression of dementia you can't it just progresses or it doesn't it's the nature of the disease schizophrenia addiction you can change the progression you can save people's lives those we let deteriorate on the streets incredible monique i got to go i thank you for okay. your work and keep it up all right all right. Thank you, Dr. Right, Drew. Have a good day. You bet. You too. Well, I think you all know by now how much I love Blinkist because I love reading nonfiction books. This is one of the best apps on my phone. Unlike anything else, it's a life hack, a secret weapon, I tell you. It's unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. It takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Things like Becoming by Michelle Obama or, for instance, uh, Getting Things Done by David Allen. All great books. Nonfiction is the way to expand your knowledge base. And with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want, all for one low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has our special offer just for us. Go to Blinkist.com slash D-R-E-W. Try it for free for seven days. Think all you can cram into those seven days. And save 25% off your new subscription. That is Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Drew to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Drew. You guys had a chance to check out Spike's Car Radio. If not, you need to check it out and catch up on some of his awesome interviews. In the past week, Spike has talked with Matt Damon, Christian Bale from Ford versus Ferrari, Kim Coates. Head over to Spike's feed and take a listen if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to Spike's Car Radio so you can get a new episode every week on Apple Podcast and at Podcast One. Well, we get an average of eight hours of sleep at night, right? Well, hopefully, and get a quality diet, hopefully, exercise regularly, hopefully. And uh, if you're doing everything right, your health should be pretty good. But what about planning for the what-ifs of tomorrow? Well, I want to introduce you to Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. That's right. If you're a runner or a cyclist or into CrossFit or you're just working out regularly, following appropriate kind of diet, Health IQ can save you up to 41% 
Obviously, because people that are physically active and take care of their health have lower risk for things like heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. Health IQ takes the customer through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You will not find them anywhere else. You must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash Drew to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that is healthiq.com slash GRW. Let them know we sent you and start the process with the Health IQ quiz. No commitment, and you'll learn even more about the potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living a healthy lifestyle. One more time, that is healthiq slash Drew. Uh, this is Nathaniel. Yes. Hi. How are you? I'm good. What's up? Well, okay. I've been in construction for 20 years mm. and, uh, I've always been kind of way up in the air. You know, I've, I've done, uh, you know, chimneys. I've done, you know, a lot of things like, you know, for power plants and a whole lot of stuff. But, uh, you know, I took a small spill a couple of years ago or whatever. And then, uh, now I'm kind of like back on the horse with doing everything that I was doing. And, um, I, I picked up a bunch of contracts with, you know, local public school system. And, and, uh, a lot of the work is all, you know, high in the air and done, you know, brick walls and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, um, came home for my lunch break because, uh, even though I, I'm setting up everything like completely as safe as I can possibly imagine. Um, I was up on a ladder and, uh, you know, I was tied off and everything was perfectly safe, but I just kind of felt like, uh, I, I, I don't know what, what, what the feeling was, but I was like, I'm like, I gotta get down. Fear of heights. Like, Phobia. Like, I, I don't want to be. So, so I'm now I'm like, I'm 40 now and I don't know. It's like your sense of mortality upgrade as you get older. Or? Yeah, it, it does for sure. But, but the phobias tend to come on like this, like fear of flying. People are flying, flying, flying. And then all of a sudden they get fear of flying and then it suddenly goes away. So uh, these, that's sort of how phobias, that's the time course. It's sort of the way they come on. They, they come out of nowhere or in your case, you know, some sort of event that kind of triggers and then all you know, some people it's flying and hearing something about it's catastrophe or being in a scary situation, and then boop, here it comes, and it can really peak. I mean, it can really get very intense. Now, I I've never treated fear of heights, but I'm betting that one of the ways they do it is with some sort of exposure therapy because that's how they deal with most phobias. So I don't know if they use virtual reality or you know, there's probably all kinds of ways you can go about this. So I would look online and find a treatment for this. Uh, the International Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Federation has lots of stuff about phobias and anxieties. It's iocdf.org, iocdf.org. Okay. I don't know if they have specific stuff for you on this there, but they're, I know they're a quality organization. So I would trust – if they do have stuff, I would trust what they say. Otherwise – you're going to be kind of going online and looking for stuff, and that you know, try to try to go near or somebody who's associated with a teaching center, a teaching hospital, or a teaching university, that sort of thing. But there are treatments for this, and given your employee, I think you got to you got to go do it. So I'm yeah, gonna I'm gonna to. bet there's don't have a choice. Uh, yeah I'm a bet there's a virtual reality thing out there because exposure is the thing, and so they expose 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 intolerable doses so they don't overwhelm you with it, and. Um, and there you go. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't be up high and take anti-anxiety medicine, right? Because no, right? Because exactly you will, right. you will fall then. Uh, but but what tends to happen? I will tell you what kind of happens is you have a few experiences of mastery where you're up there doing your thing and you don't have anxiety, and just that experience of being able to do it without anxiety tends to be very reinforcing, and you sort of can learn that you can do it without anxiety and then you start doing it again without anxiety. Right? Okay. So check on the virtual reality and then just keep going and then kind of like when you feel those feelings, do you kind of just like get like try to push through them or? Well, I mean, in your case, you kind of have to, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, you have to be careful because you can get really paralyzed and overcome by these feelings and, and by giving yourself too much, it can really cause a problem, right? It can really make it worse. 
But if you can do enough self-talk and deep breathing and sort of you know mindful kinds of things where you're not overwhelmed by it, well, then, yeah, keep going because that's that's what's going to make it better eventually. It's just, you know, I don't want you getting in trouble when you're up there getting sort of frozen or, you know, who knows what. Uh, but if you can if you can do it in tolerable ways, go ahead. You get what? I, I, I just, you know, for the first time ever, you know, I mean, like I, I was up there and, then, you know, like I just felt like my like my pulse just went up. Yeah. You know, and then I yeah. like bump, 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 bump. Well, bump, you, you do. Like, you should. And I'm like, OK, I got to get down. Well, that's OK. <laughs> so so get down. Right. Just know that you. this is a brain thing. It's a circuit that's opened up and you're learning to manage it. And so, yeah, do get down. Do get down before you – don't overwhelm yourself. This is the point. If you can do self-talk where things settle, then keep going. But if you don't settle, come down. Take a break. Okay? Okay. All right. And then Got look it, look man. for treatment for this. It, it's it's not it, – it's, phobias suck. Are you – let me just ask you. Are you an anxious person generally? Uh. I really, I don't really, I don't really know. You know, I mean, I, I have to deal with a whole lot of stuff, you know, with a lot of different, a lot of different, like, you know, public speaking or you yeah. know, just talking to a bunch of different people and handling a lot of problems all the time. And I, I would say that probably no. So you don't um, preoccupy, you're, you're, you're not, you don't preoccupy, you're not controlling, you don't, you know, you don't think about things a lot. You don't have obsessional thoughts. No, I don't. I don't really obsess much yeah. on anything. Yeah, um, yeah. I okay. just kind of, I, I figure out like what I got to do every day, and then right. I, you know, I, I go do it, and then you know, I got a couple of people to help me out with some stuff. And all so right, so it's, it's, I, I feel like I got to put on a mask sometimes because I, you know, the people that help me, like I don't want them to be afraid if I'm all of a sudden. Afraid. I get it. I, I get it. That's called leadership. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so. Yeah, and but but by the same token, don't ignore this. It's a real biology, and it can get a lot worse, and you don't want it to spin out of control. So manage it, okay? Okay. Yeah. All right. And then what meditation? Does meditation help? Yeah, but it's it's more going into that. Yeah, but it's more about the self talk when you're up there. You know, can you self soothe when you're having a peak in this? And and that's the question. Can can you settle yourself? And if, take you know, you taking breaks. It's okay. I mean, it's it's being able to manage the feelings within the air and not have them. Sp- the, you know, if you notice the way it kind of works, it kind of spirals, right? It spirals up, right? It's outside of your yes. control. And and if you can interrupt that and bring it back down, and and again, treatment would help you do that. So uh, definitely don't 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 try to shortcut it. Do get somebody to help you out. Daniel, I got to move on. Thank you so much. All right, man. thank you, sir. Oh, you got it. Well done, Trina. Uh-huh. Hey there. Is this Dr. Drew? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. I am going to pass out. Oh, no. Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. Um, I am... Okay, I'm from... Well, I have a brother who is 52, um, has been drinking probably since he was... I would say around 17, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, The places around here are dingy, are dirty. Um, I was actually with him one time when he called the police on himself. Um, That's fine. And got arrested. Nobody would take him due to insurance. Yeah. And how do I get him help? Um, well, here's here's a sort of a stopgap maneuver. Is if he's ready, is he ready to stop? Well, he thinks that um, he he had a daughter or a grandbaby that was born one pound eight ounces, and in his mind, I think he's in like. Like an alcoholic fog, if that is such a thing. Oh, yeah. Is he, and, look, look, um, there's always a reason to drink. Is he ready to stop? He says he has made an agreement that if um, God let his grandbaby live, yeah. which by the grace of God, that baby is thriving. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Um, Here, here's, he, here's, what, is, is he, here's what is you're going to do. let the baby live? Take him. Here's what you're going to do. So that's his excuse. Yeah. So, 
Oh, you, he wants he wants God to take him if the baby lives. He didn't agree to to live himself if the baby lives. No. Oh God. Well, here's what you need to do. Yeah, he. That's what he says. Um, well, if he starts talking about hurting himself, you, you can have him taken in against his will. But in any event, here's what you should. Well, he do. wants to die drinking. Yeah. I uh, mean, he, he's not. That's his excuse right now. Unf- to, um, unfortunately, to- in this country, you're allowed to do that. Unfortunately. So so here's the deal. He needs to go into a hospital. He needs to go into a hospital and get detox. At the level he's drinking, if he stops by himself, that could kill him. And we don't want that to I happen. Know. So you need to take him to a hospital and get them to de- – de- any medical hospital should be able to handle an alcohol detox. So you get him to the hospital, have him detoxed. Once there, you talk to the social worker and you find out what kind of low-cost sober living alternatives there are and get him in one of those. It doesn't matter if they're dingy. It doesn't matter whatever. You got to get them in a program. Okay, um, I've done that before. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm the only one in my family who's tried. You've had um, him. You had him in the hospital and had the hospital personnel place him. Yes. Well, I've had him. Um, he was inpatient in a place there in Evansville. Okay, and. Um, I was actually, he was in-house. He got sober. He was living with us. Mm-hmm. And um, me and my um, ex-husband, I was actually driving him to meetings. He was doing very well. And um, the thing he uses the most is um, our mother died. Whatever. What, it doesn't matter. Whatever he uses, yeah, it'll be an excuse. But, but so here's the deal. Why don't we do that again? Well, on average, I get him to talk to me. On average, Trina, it takes four treatments and eight years to get somebody a year of sobriety. He's had one treatment; it went okay. No, Doctor Drew, he's had. I can't count over the years. I, okay. I cannot. All right. Go ahead. I'm sorry, but it's time to get back at it. It's just time to don't don't give up on treatment just because the patient isn't ready. Just keep you know you you, you wouldn't if they kept not using their insulin, you wouldn't take their insulin away from them. You'd keep at them until until it sticks. Okay, well, right now, how, okay, how do I? Now, I, I sound like I'm, I'm really not crazy. But no, no, you sound like you know what you're right talking now, about. Yeah, I understand. I'm the only one that's pushing him, and he hates me. He will not speak to me. Too bad. Literally. I agree. It's he, too bad. I agree. It's too bad. I would just take him to a medical hospital and just start there, get him detox in a medical setting, and then talk well, about going. His wife is enabling. His wife brings it. I mean,. How do I do that by myself? Well, now all you can do, if you if you can't do anything, you can go to Al-Anon. Get a sponsor. For myself? For yourself. That will change okay. how this that will change how this whole thing works. If you've been exposed to all those treatments, I know they told you a hundred times, go to Al-Anon. Why didn't you? No, no. He, I'm sorry. He, I drove him to his outpatient treatment. I know. You were, you, so you were not involved in any of those treatments? You didn't talk to any personnel at those treatment centers. I I talked to his sponsor a little bit. But you never talked to anybody at the treatment center. No one ever included family in the treatment process. I would go there and visit, but as far as if there was family um, visits offered, I was not aware. Okay, so they didn't include family in the treatment process, which is a disaster. If they did, he didn't tell me. Right, so that, that that's a problem. So had you gone, they would have told you a thousand times, go to Al-Anon. Now, I'm going to tell you the same thing. Go. Go to Al-Anon, get a sponsor. You. And let's see what happens. Okay? Okay. All right, give it a shot. Okay? Oh, God. T- tell this story there. Thank you so much. Okay, tell the story there at Al-Anon. It could change the direction of all this. Thanks, Trina. CJ. Yes, sir. Hey, man. How's it going? First off, I'm tell you, it's an honor to be speaking with you, Dr. Julia. Saved numerous lives over the years. Thanks, CJ. What's up? Well, I'm, it's, I'm 29 years old. I probably shouldn't be speaking about this because it's way too early for me, but it's like it's happening to me. Yeah. I, work, I, work, I work 12 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have a good sex drive about ten years ago when I was like fresh out of high school, and now it's like it's like it's barely there. I tried Viagra. Um, I, huh. I'm kind of reluctant on trying any other medications because it's like as if 
I'm really young to be experiencing. Yes, you are. This should not be happening. So let's ask some basic questions. Are you on any medication? No, I'm not. Are you overweight? Yes, I am. How much? I'm obese. Uh, I weigh uh, three... That that can be the problem. You can the adipose tissue over a certain weight develops, creates so much estrogen, it can really depress your testosterone levels. So that might be the story. So you might just immediately try the no starch, no grain, no sugar diet, and see if you can get you know some weight off, and see if that makes a difference. But in addition to that, you really got to see a doctor. You've got to get a proper evaluation because at your age, prolactin-secreting tumors in the pituitary gland are rather common, and that can be a reason that testosterone drops. So it's just important to get a – and thyroid can affect this. So you know, it's important to get a complete – and you know, with your weight and stuff, it's important to stay on top of your health as well. And before you get on an aggressive diet, you get a, get a, get a, get a clearance. Make sure this is what we're dealing with. But if it's not thyroid, not prolactin, not some sort of endogenous testosterone, you know, there, there are reasons the testes can shut off too that are obscure and, and probably not what's going on here. But that all needs to be ruled out. Then you go about the business of losing weight. And if you can get – dude, if you can get 100 pounds off I and if that's the problem, I promise you this will come back. Thank you, CJ. I have to go. Thank you all for your calling. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I got to get my direct my attention to Mr. Crawley. He insisted, insisted that I uh, be at his at his beck and presently. So I will do so. Thank you all for being a part of this. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Doctor Drew Podcast. That's D R D R E W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Doctor Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Doctor Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Doctor Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.